He is everything. I, I, I stand up here uh, thinking, Lord, can't you just do this? I, I'm just a frail human being. What, what, it'd be so much better if you would just come down and tell them about the Lord Jesus. Send Jesus again just to, oh, why do I have to do it? I'm a, I'm a saved sinner. And I can't possibly tell these folks how wonderful you are. But that's how God sets it up for a preacher to stand up and do his best. And that's what I'm going to do. Uh, there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. And then I'm going to draw my thoughts from verse 9 today. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Moreover, brethren, he's talking to the, the church members at the church there in Corinth. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. Uh, he's saying, I want you to understand something. Of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. So he's saying, church at Corinth, um, there is a need. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up a couple examples of what you should do about this need. The churches of Macedonia, boy, they responded to the need. So let me brag on them for a moment. And I want you to be inspired because of their example to also give. Be, be the right type of giver because of this example. So he's talking about the churches of Macedonia, verse 2. How that in great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy. And you'd say, wait a second, which is it? Are they going through a great trial of affliction or there, is there abundance of joy? Well, even when they were afflicted, they were able to dig deep and give. And when we're able to give, no matter what you're going through, there can be joy. Even amidst affliction. And in their deep poverty, abounded unto riches. <laughs> You're like, which is it? Is there deep poverty? Or are they abounding? Unto, I, I'm telling you, you don't have to give much. But when what you have, when what little you have belongs to God, there can be such joy. You think of that woman, uh, the, the, the woman in the New Testament. She was the, the widow. And she dropped in her two mites. And God pointed her out as that example for all eternity. She didn't have much. But what she had belonged to God. <laughs> there can be such joy when what little you have belongs to God. To power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Praying with us much entreated that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. So he's done. He talks about this example of the Macedonians. And then, in verse 9, he comes to the example of all examples. The example of all examples. In verse 9, he says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, 
that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. There was a famine in Jerusalem and Paul was collecting an offering for the Christians there. He was telling the Corinthians about the churches of Macedonia and using their sacrificial generosity as an example. But then he turned to the example of all examples, the Lord Jesus Christ. He became what he was not, poor, so that mankind could have the chance to be what we were not, spiritually rich. The Son of Man became the Son of, the Son of God, excuse me, became the Son of Man, so that sinful sons of men might become sons of God. My title today, He Became Poor That I Might Be Rich. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you speak uh, through me to these folks that have come together. Uh, I, I ask, Lord, uh, again, oh, the Lord Jesus, he's, he's everything. Oh God, I, I pray that you'd uh, speak to me, speak through me, or speak to hearts today. Lord, I can't, I can't lift up Christ enough. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help me, uh, that, that everyone in this room would be convinced that living for the smile of the Lord Jesus is the only thing that matters in this life. I pray that each one of us would come away understanding what that means, how I might put a smile on the face of Almighty God with my actions, with my understanding. Lord, is there someone today that doesn't know the Lord Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior? I, I ask that they might see their need today and make that right. Lord, believers that might be playing with this world, deciding uh, who or what they might be living for, I pray that it would be evident to them. That that smile on the face of Almighty God is worth 10,000 times 10,000 more than anything this world has to offer. pray that you'd be with us this day. Thank you for your precious word. I pray that it would uh, come to life as we look at it together today. As he sings in Christ's name, amen. So verse 9 is our, our verse today. For ye know... He's speaking to the Corinthian church there. For ye know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. um, That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That ye through his poverty might be rich. I'm going to give you five things from that verse today. Uh, The first thing is the precedent that was set by our Savior. The precedent. Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The precedent that was set by our Savior. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ poured out on all mankind. Precedent. What does that word mean? Uh, well, precedent refers to an earlier event or action that is regarded as an example or guide to be considered in subsequent similar actions. I don't know, like in legal matters. If they're going to examine something, uh, the legal teams on both sides might go back and study uh, previous cases that were similar in some way to that case and decide, is there precedent? Was a, a case like this tried before? Were there decisions? Uh, were, there, uh, were there arguments that were made that would pertain to this? Let's look back and see if there's an example or a guide that can help us now. And of course, in this area, 
of grace and giving that flows from grace. The grace of giving. There's no finer precedent. It's not an example that we can look back to. The example of all examples is the grace of God. The Father there in John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was willing to take our sin debt. My wife just sang about it. There in 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He made Him to be sin. For us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He took our sin debt and offers His righteousness in exchange. All the precedent that's set by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Boy, it's just like Jesus, isn't it? That we might be made. Might be made is not something we do. Might be made for you uh, English students. That's passive. That we might be made by the power of somebody else. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. There's a song, it's just like His great love. A friend I have called Jesus, whose love is strong and true and never fails. How e'er tis tried, no matter what I do, I've sinned against this love of His. But when I knelt to pray, confessing all my guilt to Him, the sin clouds rolled away. It's just like Jesus to roll the clouds away. It's just like Jesus to keep me day by day. It's just like Jesus all along the way. It's just like His great love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor. That ye through His poverty might be rich. The first thing we saw was the precedent set by the Savior. Ye know the grace of the Lord Jesus. Secondly, we see the verse says that though he was rich, he was rich. Well, you might say the, the power or the prestige. Here, I'm going to call it the prosperity of the Savior. The prosperity of the Savior. Though he was rich. There he was in heaven, enjoying the glories of heaven, the pure place of heaven, the wonderful, loving, warm place of heaven. And yet, he left heaven, didn't he? To come down, to be clothed in human flesh and live down here. The prosperity, he was rich we know he was rich. Uh, John, in the book of Revelation, tells us he comes from a place where the streets are paved in gold. Unbelievable. There they build their walls of jasper. Their gates are made of pearl. The foundation rocks are studded with gems. The great white throne of God is there. The crystal stream, the tree of life. Many crowns are placed on his head in that celestial land. His ministers are flames of fire, comprised of countless angelic hosts, beings of great beauty, intelligence, and power, who hang upon his words 
and rush to do his will. Enormous galaxies ablaze with stars and pulsating with energy hurtle through the vast voids of space at his command. They are all empires of his. Billions upon billions of worlds hold their treasure troves for him. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine. The gold is mine is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. You belong to Him. Every human belongs to Him. Let me read it again. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. He he owns every human being by right of creation. He wants to own you twice. Own you a second time by right of redemption. He owns you already. If you enter eternity without being redeemed, allowing him to purchase you back from the bonds of sin, you'll have to answer to a God that owned you and you refused to recognize that he owned you. Exodus 19 verse 5, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant... Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And then in Psalm 50, verses 11 through 12. Every beast of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains And the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine. And the fullness thereof. Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The precedent that he set as he gave of himself. We saw, secondly, the prosperity of the Savior. Though he was rich. Thirdly, the Bible says, yet for your sakes, he became poor. Thirdly, we see the poverty of the Savior. The poverty of the Savior. For your sakes... He became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. The poverty of the Savior. Uh, Another song that, that, that we love around here, If That Isn't Love. He left the splendor of heaven. Knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha there to lay down his life for me. If that isn't love, the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky and the sparrows can't fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this. If that isn't love. For our sakes, he became poor. So that we, through his poverty might be made rich. Boy, we're born down here and we'll eventually die. It's different with Jesus. He came with the purpose of dying. He came to die in our place. The coming of Jesus 
What did he leave behind for you and me? Let's take a trip through the alphabet and think about it. He left the adorations of heaven for the abominations of earth. He left the blessings of heaven for the bruises of the crucifixion and torture down here on this earth. He left the coronations of heaven for the condemnations down here. He left the delights of heaven only to be defamed by so many down here. He left the excellencies of heaven to be executed at the hands of wrathful man. He left the favor of his father's face and came to the fury on the faces of sinful men. He came down from the glory place to the gory place. From the hallelujahs of heaven to the hisses down here where the devil's voice is so prevalent, even tempting him there in the wilderness. He left the intercessions of heaven for the injustices and inequities of earth. He left the joys of heaven to face the jeering crowds down here. Think about those angelic hosts that hang on his words, yearning to do his wishes down here where men has little to no use for him. How sad. Why would you leave that for this down here where few show him any respect? Well, he loved us enough. He left the kindnesses of heaven for the killings on earth, the real love in heaven to the lowly lusts that dominate so many things down here, from the majesties of heaven to the miseries of earth. He was notable up there, but oft down here treated as nothing. Left the praises of heaven for the persecutions of earth, the quietness of heaven to the quarrelsomeness of earth, the riches of heaven to the revilings of earth, the songs of heaven to the scars and the sneers down here. Left the throne of heaven and came to the tree of Calvary. The unison of heaven to the unrighteousness of earth. The virtues of heaven for the vices of earth. And the worship of the angelic host to the wrath of unprincipled men. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. Took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He became poor. So that you and I, through his poverty, might be rich. What are you doing with Jesus today? What have you done with Jesus? That's the question that will echo through all eternity. That is the one question that matters 
through the millennia. For our sakes he became poor. He was born in all places in a cattle shed. His next of kin, according to the flesh, were poor peasants, able to afford at the time of Mary's purification only the poorest offering allowed by the law. Mary's husband was a village carpenter, and the Lord Jesus, Son of God, though he was, was generally known as Jesus of Nazareth, and thus was identified with a despised place, in a despised province, in a despised land. They called him the carpenter's son. Boy, Americans are so wealthy. We have so much in our pockets. And yet Americans are dominated and owned by the things we possess. Jesus was different when he was here, wasn't he? He became poor. He was born in a borrowed stable. When he wanted to feed the hungry multitudes, he had to borrow a lunch from a little lad nearby. When he wanted to confound his critics, he had to borrow a penny. When he wanted to teach the great throngs that pressed about him, he had to borrow Simon Peter's boat to prevent himself from being pressed into the lake. When he went to fulfill an ancient prophecy and ride in triumph into Jerusalem, he borrowed a donkey. And then he borrowed an upper room in which to meet for the Lord's Supper. When he was buried, he was in a borrowed tomb. He said these words in Matthew 8.20, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He became poor. That we, through his poverty, might be rich. Fourthly, we have the chance to be rich. Through his poverty, we have the chance to be rich. That's the gift of Christmas. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We can be rich. That's the gift. So number four, the present from the Savior. What did we see so far? The precedent set by the Savior. There's no greater gift giver. The Lord Jesus is the gift of all gifts. Secondly, he was rich. We saw the prosperity of the Savior. Third, we saw the poverty of the Savior. Though he was rich for our sakes, he became poor. But then fourthly, that ye might be rich. The present from the Savior. Spiritual riches. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift Of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, the Lord Jesus. He is the gift. He offers himself as the Savior who will cleanse us of our sins and give us a home in eternity forever and ever. He is the gift. Now Christmas, it's wonderful, but don't let your heart stop there. There's more to the story. The birth of Christ was not the victory. Don't get me wrong. It's wonderful. 
It's beautiful. It's marvelous. But it was not the victory. It was like D-Day in World War II. World War II, uh, there in the uh, 19... Uh, the late 30s and into the 1940s, World War II was a, there was a powerful enemy with an iron grip in Europe. It became necessary for the U.S. to, 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 to form, uh, join with the Allies and do all that we could to defeat the Axis powers. There on June 6th, 1944, the combined task force for the Allies landed on the beaches of Normandy and despite terrible opposition, established a toehold there. This was not the victory, but it was essential if victory was to come. Almost a year later, on May 8th, 1945, D-Day gave way to V-E-Day, victory in Europe, there was a great sacrifice. But in the end, at last victory was achieved. Christmas, in many ways, is, is like D-Day. It wasn't the victory of the, cam- the campaign, but it was an essential part of the victory that was to come. You see, God looked down and saw our earth full of people and the iron grip of sin. And a landing became necessary. God made... If you you study D-Day, boy, there was tons of preparation. Mind-boggling the preparation that went in for that landing. But you know, God up in heaven, even more so the, the preparation and brilliance and planning that went into heaven... Establishing a toehold down here on the earth when Jesus came to bring about the victory. The landing Christmas was an essential part of victory. But that day was not the victory in and of itself. Oh, heaven made preparation. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them. That was the goal of the campaign. Redeem them that were under the law. That that we might receive the adoption of sons. He came so that we could join his family. That we might become adopted into his family. And just like there was opposition when they landed at Normandy. All the opposition when Christ came. Herod tried to murder the babies. Murdering all. There was great opposition But nothing could be done in the face of the planning of heaven to establish that toehold that eventually would give way to victory at the cross and at the empty tomb. Earlier, I mentioned that he left the excellencies of heaven for the executions down here at our hands. But yes, there was guilt on the part of mankind But even more than that, he was facing the wrath of his father for the sin he was not guilty of. The sin that you and I were guilty of. There in Isaiah 53 it says, He, speaking of Jesus, 
He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. But... Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb before the shearer, or to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so opened he not his mouth. He is taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he smitten. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And again, what did I say earlier? The execution that he faced down here at the hands of cruel man, but also he faced the wrath of a holy God up in heaven. Against sin he was not guilty of. It says this in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. All right, let's let's wrap this up. What did we see so far? We saw the precedent set by the Savior. Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater gift. There's no greater gift gift giver than the Lord Jesus. Secondly, we saw the prosperity of the Savior. Though he was rich, and oh how rich he was. I mean, what do we, we hope to land on, on some heavenly body out there and do, maybe do a little mining and hope to bring a little bit of mineral back and yeah, we're going to whatever, rare earth minerals. And, and he's got a cosmos full of heavenly bodies that are there and he, he just spoke them into existence. Oh, the riches. Thirdly, we saw the poverty of the Savior. He became poor for our sake. And then we see the present from the Savior. He holds out the presence, the present of the Savior. Salvation, cleansing through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly, the vast majority of the people that walk this planet of ours have said, I'm not interested. But here we are today. And it's been our prayer for a while. We've been praying and praying towards today that if there's somebody that's never received that gift of eternal life, that today would be that day. The fifth thing is there's a possibility of missing out on the Savior. There it says, uh, 
For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that he through his poverty might be rich. Might be rich. You see, God is willing that none should perish, but he's not going to make anyone receive the Lord as their Savior. He holds out that gift. And you say, I never asked him to. It doesn't matter. He knows you better than, he, than you know yourself. And he saw a need in your life. And he paid a terrible price to secure the gift of eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he holds it out to each and every one. Many have received it. But there are some that have not. You see, there's a possibility of missing out on the Savior Jesus is offering the gift of eternal life, uh, salvation. Uh, he offers himself as your Savior. It says there in John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He promises to save those who will personally recognize who he is and why he came. Won't you cry out today to the Lord Jesus for his mercy and his grace? The Bible says this in Romans 10, 9 through 13. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. Now confess means to agree with God, right? Uh, like when a, I, I don't, like, like a detective Says we have all this evidence. You're guilty. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And when you, when the, when the detective finally gets a confession, what is that? It's when the person says, "Okay, you're right. I am guilty." The way you say, all the evidence is there. Up in heaven, God says, "You're guilty." You're guilty. And so many, I don't feel like I'm guilty. And the reason why the Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man. Me pursuing what I want feels right on a certain level. But deep down you know that pursuing what he wants is far more important. And you're going to have to come face to face with, with that in so, at some point in life. And the sooner you do, the better it will be. God up in heaven says, you're guilty. You're a sinner. And your sin means that you deserve a place in hell. And the lake of fire. Forever and ever. And I love you too much for that to be your only option. So I sent the Lord Jesus to take your sin upon him. And if you will submit to the way I saw your need... And to the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And yes, you're obligating yourself to that gift giver. Honoring the sacrifice that the Father made in sending the Son. And the Son made in dying in your place. Tasting your sin and facing the wrath of the Father. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. If it can be real to you. It's not a game. Uh, just, just what, what are the magic words? No, it's not a magic words. It's a crying out to a very real God. And saying, I need you. I'm a sinner. And I don't deserve heaven. But you loved me enough. To make sure I could have place there.
Would you cleanse me of my sin? Oh, I've, I've lied, I've stolen, I've cheated, I've, I've thought dirty. Lord, you know me, but you know I'm a sinner. And I just want cleansing. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Boy, it's not me that needs to do the convincing. I, I just try to give you God's word, but hopefully the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear, you need what he's talking about. You need that. Please do something about it today. What a fun day. Um, I looked it up last night, right? Were you curious? How, how often does Christmas fall on a Sunday? Right? And you'd say, well, every seven years, right? Except leap year, right? Leap year throws it off. But you're still right. On average, it's about once every seven years. Because of leap year, sometimes it can, be, it can come quicker. But sometimes leap year causes a, a Saturday to jump uh, across to Monday. And it skips. So it can be upwards of 11 years. And I'm not sure the next time Christmas is going to fall on a Sunday. It could be 11 years from now. I'm not sure. I haven't looked that up. But what a special day. If the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to come to me today. I own you. I made you. I put together the owner's manual for your life. You've been trying to live your life apart from me, and it hasn't been working out, has it? Won't you come to me and live the life you should be living? Following the God who made you and loves you, and the owner's manual that tells you how you can have a fulfilled, abundant life. And you say, well, I'm just about there. I'm just about there. I just, I want to wait. There was a man in the Bible that was like that there in Acts 26, 28. Paul, the man that, 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 that penned these words, and there in Acts, Paul was preaching to a man named Agrippa. And Agrippa, you know, he's sitting there and he's, he's enjoying it. And he's an important man. He's a king. And he says, oh, <laughs> almost almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I know there's value there. I know there's importance there. But I'm just not ready to give any of the reins of my life to God. I want them fully in my grip. Maybe later on I'll consider those things. And as far as we know, he's burning in hell today. There was a hymn writer that turned that Bible story into a song. Almost persuaded now to believe, almost persuaded Christ to receive, seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way, some more convenient day. On thee I'll call. 
Almost persuaded, come, come today. Almost persuaded, turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Prayers rise from hearts. So dear, oh wanderer, come. Oh, be persuaded, Christ never fails. Oh, be persuaded, his blood avails. Can save from every sin, cleanse you without within. Will you not let him in? Open the door. Almost persuaded, harvest is past. Almost persuaded, doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad that bitter wail. Almost but lost. I'm glad there's one more verse. Be now persuaded, O sinner, hear. Be now persuaded, Jesus is near. His voice is pleading still. Turn now with heart and will. Peace will your spirit fill. Oh, turn today. Whatever God is telling you to do today, get it done right now. Don't put it off. Will you stand together?